we're in the second week of a series we've titled Riding the Rails. It's the idea of keeping on track in relationships, just like a train stays on track. This has been an important series for me as one of your pastors in that I have a unique opportunity over the years of life and ministry that people come and see me when life isn't good. Not many of you come in to see me when life is great. Hey, I just had to tell you how awesome it's going. But I have the unique opportunity when life is difficult to hear oftentimes struggles in relationships. I've seen it between couples. I've seen it between friends. I've seen it between parent and child. And so I don't claim any expertise as if I've figured it all out, but I claim some understanding because I hear and see and listen. And in case you don't know this, people often think I'm better at relationships than I am because when I'm in that setting, have you ever had to listen to other people and you see things clearly? It's much easier to see things when you're outside when you're the one that's actually in it. So I claim no skill or expertise in it, but I claim some understanding and heart watching it. And I'm in a journey like you are, trying to figure out how I relate well, love the people around me well. So we entered into this series saying, we think understanding how we listen and how we speak, understanding how we handle difficult conversations and conflict are important. And where we're entering into this is in one of the New Testament letters, what we often call books. It's James who writes this. James is the brother of Jesus, one of them. And James writes to the early church spread all over the Roman Empire, speaking of some wisdom, kind of it's a wisdom letter, not organized to cover things topically and in a certain order, simply kind of taking out some of the best of what he's taught over all the years of leading. And in this segment, which is where we are in this series, he says these words, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now make no mistake, he's speaking of how to interact, but he's also cautioning us of how relationships and normal interactions can become heated and difficult in life. Last week, we looked at this idea of being quick to listen, of what it means that when we actually listen and listen to understand, that that's how we know people and how we show love. And make no mistake, that's where he begins, is listening. And then he says, slow to speak. Now, he doesn't mean speak slowly, not like we're aging and we can't hear. We have to speak slower and slower. But he's talking about a posture we take of not rushing into it, that Learning and listening is first, and then speaking comes out of it. Now, we're going to talk a little bit towards the end about what he means, perhaps, or at least something that makes sense to me related to slowing down. But we want to look at this idea of why it matters what we say and why it's so difficult. Now, if you move ahead to chapter three in this letter, he actually begins to give pictures to give us a broader understanding of the power of words and how it can build up or tear down. And he does it by giving picture after picture. So he begins with talking about horses and how they're a wild animal and one that cannot be easily tamed, but with a very small device, with a bit or a bridle, you can actually direct a horse on where to go. And through that small aspect of its entire being, you can make the whole thing change on how it's tempered and moved and lived. He then gives another comparison. He speaks about ships. And this would be a ship similar to the one that Paul would have been on in the ancient world. He says ships are in a unique deal in that these powerful winds come and they blow the ship around and they move it forward and they carry it across the ocean. But guess what guides a ship? A very small thing called a rudder. He says here it is again, an example of this large 
huge kind of vehicle and vessel that's moved by the wind, and yet it's something very small that guides its path in life. And then he moves to humanity. And you know what he describes that basically carries us? He says it's the tongue. Now, when I heard the tongue, one thing came to mind. In case you don't know, that's Gene Simmons of KISS. I first had the picture up where he has his makeup on, and I realized some of you who are holier than others would be like, that should not be on the screen. That is evil. That is bad. Amen. And some of you are still saying that's banal, that's unintellectual, that's really horrific. Now, just to be clear on this, that tongues are important everywhere, Einstein. You can't get more brilliant than that, can you? The simple idea is that the tongue, this small muscle, is at the root of how we live and how we expend life and how everything comes from it. In fact, we know from Jesus' words, out of the overflow of the heart, he says, the mouth speaks. The tongue reflects the heart. James goes on in this chapter. He keeps wanting us to see how important this is. Let me compare it to this. He said, take a spark, just one little spark, and put it in a forest, and it will ignite the entire place with fire from one little spark. He's trying to give us a picture. He goes back to the tongue, and he says this. The tongue creates fire in our lives. It can destroy everything around us and even compares it powerfully and painfully to the very fire of hell. He keeps going on. I want you to get this. We need to pay very careful attention to our words and how we use them because like a ship has a rudder, like a spark creates a fire, our tongues have the power between life and death, between building up and tearing down. He goes on to compare it to how the entire planet, all the animals on the planet, you and I in humanity can actually tame them. We have power, and that's what God gave us, power over creation to manage and watch over it. And then he comes back, unfortunately, to the truth about us. But no human being can tame the tongue, he says. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With a tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Man, I'm the first one to admit I wish I could say what I speak is beautiful and builds up. But there's often times when it doesn't. Do you ever have that where you go, out of my same mouth, I can build up and I can tear down? And, and really, James makes a beautiful comparison for us. We see God and we praise him. We see people and we forget who made them. You see, every person on the planet is made in God's image. Does God make bad works? Does God make bad works? So does God love every person he's created? Does he hold them in high regard and cherish them as the apple of his eye? Oh, yes. And so what I'm going to show you, we're going to look at some practical steps we can take. And it centers around how we see people. But before I do that, I want to make clear, while I'm going to talk about some practical steps, and I believe they're biblical steps, I don't claim to say that we can just do this on our own. Like, I'm gonna give you three principles and now just go run in them. 
What we have to be honest about is, in our own brokenness and sinfulness and struggle, we all have a propensity to not do what we ought or want. So what we're saying is these are the things that God wants to change in us and transform in us and help us to relate differently to people and see people differently and love differently. So everything I'm gonna tell you, I want you to recognize we need God's help. We need God's help. Let me just have you say that. Great, we're in a great place to start. So with this in mind, we simply wanna give a few ideas that are helpful. It's not exhaustive, but how do we speak? What might be some principles that will help us think differently when we communicate? And the first one is this. We speak to someone that we give them honor. We honor others above ourselves. In Romans 12.10, it says, be devoted to one another in love, honoring one another above yourself. It's very simply this idea. To treat someone with honor means you see them as a VIP. Every person you relate to, you see as a very important person. Now you realize we don't always see that, don't you? I like the way on Big Bang Theory, Raj says, you're not a VIP, you're just a P. You're just a person. It's not true. And sometimes we'll see people as a VSP, very stupid person. And we can add all sorts of other letters that aren't gonna be pleasant. But we cast judgment on others and we've missed the call to honor who they are, to honor their very creative being that God has made them in his image. And I want you to consider if you had that posture, will it change how you talk to them? And definitively, I would say yes. You ought to pay attention just how Jesus speaks to everyone, both those that are doing well and those that are not, because he still treats them with honor, even in chastisement. And we're called the same way. What would change if I began to look at people with honor that I'm relating to instead of the way I often do it? The second one we do is we speak with honesty. We've heard this verse often if you've been around the church, this idea of speaking the truth in love. In Ephesians 4, it says he's speaking about how they've been tossed about by the wind and the waves of the sea, not growing up. And he says, instead, we speak the truth in love, will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Simply said, if you're not being honest with the people around you, you and they will not mature. Did you know preventing or protecting someone from difficulty does not help them? Now, I want you to understand when I'm saying speaking the truth in love, there's two sides to this. And there's two kind of extremes you can get at. One is we're always building up, and we view building up as flattery. So you're always saying really positive things, even if they're not true. Is that being honest? It's not, in case you don't know. Does it actually build them up? It does not. Being flattering is more about you oftentimes. How do I help them think well of me? The other side of this is we are more than happy to tell them the truth they don't see. Have you ever felt like it was your calling to make clear what they're blind to and not necessarily cared how it was received? It's an interesting piece. I think we tend to lean one way or the other. Some of us want this love piece and we want everybody to be in a great place, but we tend to not be willing to be truthful because we're afraid of what it might do. Others of us really value truth, but often at the expense of relationship or not even caring to be a help to them. I love how the wisdom literature tells us 
that an actual rebuke from someone we love is a kindness. And if it's done in love, it truly is. You see, we're honest. We have to learn to be honest. We actually want to build up. And make no mistake, that's our goal. Even when we're giving some kind of correction, it's done to build up, not done to tear down. And let me kind of turn it back to me, just in my own struggle of this, uh, I, I have had a lot of insecurity over all my life. It's something I think God is working in. But one of the things that's happened is when the people closest to me have criticized me or even just brought something that's a deficit, I hear it as I'm bad and there's nothing good about me. So guess what that does? It makes them not want to tell me. I could hear 20 good things and I hear one thing that's not positive and I go, oh, I suck. I know you don't say that, but that's how I say it. And I've realized my own insecurity prevents me from the kindness I need of correction. And it also prevents me from actually taking in the building up that's good and positive because I'm so prone to see it the wrong way. I just want you to get a picture in my own honesty of this is something we have to deal with in our own lives too. Because correction, because encouragement and building up is sometimes has to be showing us things we're blind to or miss as well and mostly about what's good and what we need to keep growing in and building up. We have to speak with honesty. The final one, with humility. You need to know to whom you speak and why. I love this proverb that says, to answer before listening is folly and shame and it speaks specifically of kind of our predisposition to put us at the center of it. We answer because we hear what we, we think we connect to or want to say our own piece about it. And what I want to encourage you about is to truly speak with humility says, I will speak in a way that you understand. I will speak in a way that you like to hear. So I'm, I would bet some of us here are bottom line people. Just get to the end and tell me what you want. And that's how we speak. I will tell you exactly what it is. I'm going to tell you the short story. Let's just get there. And guess what? When someone speaks to us, we want them to speak that way. But if I speak to someone who wants to know the whole process, wants to understand detail or information, do you think they're helped by my speaking quickly into the end? They're not, in case you don't know. I need to consider how do they process information. It sounds like a simple skill, but even knowing each other's personalities, knowing the bends of someone, it matters. If I'm talking to someone with empathy, we looked at this last week, they, wanna, they want me to speak into how they feel, not into how to fix it. So I'm speaking for what they need, not speaking for what I want. Now that's a journey. It's a piece of what we ask the Holy Spirit to do. Help me to understand who they are. Help me to understand what they need in this moment. Help me understand their personality, their temperament, those things that wire them that I would speak into their life a way that they need it. If I'm with someone who's highly amiable and they want people to get along and I like to bulldoze and say things harshly, do you think that will help them? It won't. I need to speak with who they are. If I speak with someone who's analytical, do you think they need reasoning and understanding? Of course they do. Are you getting the picture of this? It's saying my communication is about who you are, not about who I am. The, the staff have been very good to me about this. In fact, they know I'm a bottom line person. So as they begin to speak to me about things, when they get in deep details, my light switch goes off. Click, I'm done. And I try to stay in, but my brain doesn't want to. It just wants to go to what's the next thing? Please tell me what's the next thing. 
So joyfully, they help and tell me things in a shorter manner. And sometimes they just say to me, dude, you're checking out, come back in. But I hope you're getting the picture that we want to operate with humility. We want to say, how do I actually speak in a way that's helpful for you? These things all matter because simply what we understand about the tongue. It has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat of its fruit. You and I have the power to transform lives. You know, when we were growing up, we heard the phrase regularly, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never Do you know that is just flat out a lie? Physical pain hurts, but you heal from it. The message that goes inside of us from words, we tend to take into our very soul often and carry that as a lie, but we think it's true. Some of us have false identities from things we've been taught growing up. Some of us have false identities from current relationships. Some of us are told we'll never change, we'll never amount to anything, we're not good enough. Tell me those aren't more hurtful than some strikes. We have the power of life and death. And God made us with our mouths to bless and build up. That's the call of the Christian. The world is broken. You understand that from the beginning story, when Adam and Eve fall in the garden, two things happen, shame and blame, shame and blame. And Jesus died that we would break that, that we would bless and build up, bless and build up. God has called us to relate as different people that we are to be fully present and to use our words to bless and build up. When I say fully present, I'm speaking even of last week. We looked at this idea of being quick to listen. How do I fully engage in what's going on right now? And how might I recognize that my words have the power to bless and build up? Even when I'm giving, and especially the times I have to give a course correction or some challenge to someone that it needs to be to bless and build up. Our words have the power of life and death. Which will we choose? But I want to give you one final picture before we pray and move into a time of communion. I said to you, he says these words, be slow to speak. And I've always understood them in terms of slow down and kind of process what it is you want to say. But a couple weeks ago, uh, Jane and I were at a conference and they showed a particular video that I'm going to show you in a minute. And in it, it made me consider the role of just being present differently than I ever have. And so in just a minute, I want to show you this and have you consider perhaps being slow to speak is also simply being present and attentive. And what might God say in just being present to us about each other? So take a look at the screen and consider that.
when I looked at you, it was just the day you were born. <laughs> it's like a history mm. coming back from the time he was born till now. Oh, 지금도 생각하는 게 이제 시집 가는 그 생각만 하고 있어요 사실. 결혼해도 같이 살아야죠. 같이. Maybe next door. 어 그런 생각이 자식에게 더 많은 걸 해주고 싶은데 못 해주는 그런 필이 항상 그런 마음이 항상 있습니다. I just think about the the amount of sacrifices that she's she's made um, in making my life better. This is something, a moment that I will not forget. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Man, every time I see that stupid thing, I fall apart. <laughs> not a word. Did you see all that was communicated and all that was discovered? Just by being present. And then what they said afterward was profound, wasn't it? I mean, the insights they had and the love they shared by just being present. Yeah, I look at that and I crave that for you all. I crave that for me, that we would just engage in relationship together and begin to see each other with God's eyes and heart. And make no mistake, this should transfer us to how we think God would be and is in front of us. Because we sit quietly before the God of the universe, man, he cherishes us. He will look at you and think of all that he loves about you. He will look even into the places that you're most ashamed and go, I love you right there. I love you right there. You, I couldn't love you more. But it takes time to stop and simply be present. Man, be slow to speak. Learn to treat people with honor. Learn to speak with honesty. Learn to love with humility. I'll be present and use your words to build up and bless. Let me pray for us. God, I ask uh, just whatever your spirit wants to do, you'd breathe on us from this. God, I pray we'd even begin to look at those around us differently and see them with your heart and eyes and even see our, the good in every relationship we have. And Lord, would you change then as well how we hear and see you? as we sit in the quiet there. Lord, lead us as we celebrate communion in a minute, that it would not just be a rote tradition, but that your presence would meet us where we need you today. God, move among us in your holy name. Amen.